Now, as you are able, would you please stand for the reading of the word, which today will be done by Jana. Matthew 1, 18 through 24. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins." All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. The word of the Lord. Well, good morning. My name is Ryan. For those of you that I may not know, it is good to be with you here this morning as we dive into God's word. And we are getting closer and closer to Christmas Day. Someone reminded me today that Christmas Eve is two weeks from today. So let's do a, let's do a, uh, yeah, we can clap for that. Christmas is great. Do a preparedness poll here. So how many of you have gotten your decorations up already? Decorations up. Okay, great. Anyone done any Christmas baking yet? Baking? A few bakers in the room. How many of you are already done with your Christmas shopping? Christmas shopping, several of you. Great. I will bring you my lists after this. You can <laughs> take care of it whenever you want in the next couple weeks. Um, how many of you, by, by show of hands, how many Christmas movies have you seen? By show of fingers, how many Christmas movies have you seen so far this season? Okay, okay, we're, we're getting some of these things going on here. That's uh, well done, I guess. Um, all right, by show of fingers, how many Christmas Hallmark movies have you seen? Oh, okay, okay, some are going very fast. That was actually a trick question because there's only one. They're all the same, so it's only one movie. I, uh, I, I love the, the, the Christmas holiday. I, I obviously love what we get to celebrate, but I love just all the fun things we get to do. Watching Christmas movies is one of my favorite traditions, and there's so many that I love, and it seems like the list of movies that I want to watch just keeps increasing over the years. But one of the classics that I love is Miracle on 34th Street. Anyone seen Miracle on 34th Street before? Uh, Miracle on 34th Street, right, is about a man named Chris who claims to be the one and only Santa Claus. And you're watching all these other people interact with him and trying to figure out, is this really the one and only Santa Claus? 
And so one of the main characters is a little girl named Susan. And Susan kind of goes through this roller coaster of, yes, I believe in him. No, I don't believe in him. Yes, I believe him. No, I don't. And she's trying to figure out, is this the person who maybe I want him to be or who he claims to be? And so at one point in the movie, she asks Chris for a gift and she shows him a picture of this house. And he says, oh, you want a, a dollhouse? She says, no, I want an actual house for me and my mom to go and live in. And, and so he says, well, that's, that's a really tough thing to ask for, but I'll see what I can do. So he doesn't make any promises, any guarantees. He just says, hey, I'll, I'll look into it. Well, Christmas day comes and Susan goes running to the Christmas tree and is looking under the tree for what? I'm not really sure, right? Because there's definitely not a house under there. Um, but maybe she's looking for a key or a deed or I don't know, something. But whatever it is that she's looking for, she doesn't find it. And so she's disappointed and she walks away and she says, no, he's not Santa. He's just a nice old man with, with white whiskers, right? And that's all he really is. And her mom says, no, you, you must believe he really is who he's claiming to be. And uh, as they are, are driving away, there's this moment where she yells, stop! And she sees the house that she had longed for, that she had dreamt of. And she knows that this was Chris's gift to her, that he really was Santa because he provided that final gift for her. And so sometimes we have expectations of people and sometimes they don't meet those expectations. And even if they didn't actually tell us that this is what they were going to do, if we put our expectations on someone and they don't come through, it can be very disappointing. And it can actually cause a little bit of division in our relationships. We can push people away because they didn't meet our expectations. When someone has made us a promise and they don't fulfill on that promise, well, then there's certainly going to be at least a little hesitancy to enter into intimacy with that person because trust is broken and so we begin to push people away. On the flip side of these things is that if someone meets our expectations, it can actually help us to grow closer to them. And if someone makes us a promise and they keep their word, we know that they are trustworthy and it builds that trust for us and them and, and can actually help our relationship to grow and to strengthen and I share all this because as we think about the Christmas story, what we really have is we have God fulfilling a promise to his people. We actually have God fulfilling many promises to his people. That God had told the world, he had told his people that he had sent to the prophets this message that Emmanuel is coming. God with us is coming. The savior of the world is coming. And God spent time preparing their hearts to know how to see him and how to know who this person would be. And so on Christmas, we celebrate that God was faithful to his promise. And we also celebrate that in the person of Jesus, there are more future promises that are yet to be fulfilled, but that we know God will be faithful towards. And so as we are in our Advent series and we are walking through this time of preparation, preparing our hearts, we've been talking about this word Emmanuel, this title that Jesus has, God with us, that Jesus is fully man and fully God. And he came to dwell with his people, that Jesus Emmanuel, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, stepped down from glory, stepped down from eternity to dwell with his people because he loves us, he longs for us, he desires us. And he wanted to create a way for us to be saved from our sins and into life with him for all of eternity. 
And so we are looking at this idea of Emmanuel and preparing our hearts for uh, the celebration of what God has done and really preparing our hearts for what God will continue to do today and into the future. And so what I wanna do today is I wanna just look through a lot of scriptures, um, uh, some Old Testament prophecies and see some of these prophecies and these promises that God had for his people that reveal who Emmanuel is going to be and to see the fulfillment of these promises and talk, hey, why does this matter? Why do we need to look and read passages like Isaiah 7, 14? Why, why do we care that Matthew is pointing back to that passage? What does this mean for us? And so we're gonna um, read a lot of scripture, so buckle up, but I figured that God's word is better than Ryan's word, so we're gonna get a lot of scripture today. So we'll start in Isaiah chapter seven, verse 14. If you wanna try and follow along in your Bibles, God bless you, uh, try and keep up. If not, follow along on the screens. So Isaiah seven fourteen says, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. And so this is a significant promise because God is saying, hey, Emmanuel is coming and there's going to be a child that is born who is God with us, who is God incarnate, who yes is fully man, but is also fully God. And so when we hear that promise, we have to stop and ask, well, how, how am I gonna recognize who this person is? How, how am I gonna know who this person is? Because there, there, there's billions of people in the world that feel being born all the time. How do we recognize Emmanuel? And so God says, I'm gonna do something crazy. I'm gonna do something impossible. I'm gonna do something so you know that this child is the one and only child that will be called Emmanuel that is the savior of the world. And so he says, this is the sign that he will give, that the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. Now we saw in Matthew that this is fulfilled in the person of Mary, that she would conceive and give birth to the son that they would name Jesus. And it tells us in Matthew chapter one, verse 18, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. And so that Matthew passage that Jenna read for us that we looked at together, it really walked through Joseph's part in the story. And we see there's a little bit of panic, a little bit of concern, certainly some confusion when he finds out this woman he is engaged to be married to is pregnant with a child. And he's thinking, wait, 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 hold on, something isn't right here. And so an angel comes and comforts Joseph and says, no, no, this is really part of God's plan. This is from God and this is a good thing. Well, Mary also had some confusion and some concerns of her own. We see a little bit more of her response in Luke chapter one, verses 30 through 30, 35. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And remember these next words here. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Now Mary asked, how will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And so again, we have a God who is not trying to hide himself. He's not trying to hide his plan but we have a God who wants to reveal himself to us. And so he says, I'm gonna do something that is impossible. 
And because this cannot come from human means, you will know that this is the Son of God. You will know that this is the Messiah that you've been waiting for, that you've been longing for. That this is Emmanuel, God with us. And you will recognize him because in many different steps, God is doing the impossible to make this happen. Now there's a part in there in the promise where, where God is telling Mary that Jesus, her son, will be a king who will reign forever. And this is actually to fulfill some promises that were made to people from long ago. As a matter of fact, in the book of Genesis, in Genesis chapter 12, God makes a promise to a man named Abraham. And this is what he tells Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, verse three. He said, I'll bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And so when we look at Abraham's life, we see that this is a promise that was given to him. And yet through Abraham's life, I don't think that all the nations were blessed because of his life on his own. And you start to follow his family line and say, okay, well, there's blessing that is flowing out to different people and to different generations and certainly to their own family. But I don't know if all the nations are being blessed through him until you reach his great, 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 lots of greats, grandson, Jesus, who was born to Mary and Joseph. And you see that through the person of Jesus, through his life, his death and resurrection, that we are offered a hope for all people for everyone who would put their trust in Jesus Christ, they can be forgiven of their sins and enter into life with God forever and ever and ever. And so Jesus is the hope of the world. And therefore he is a blessing to all the nations and a fulfillment of this promise that was made long before Jesus' time to the person of Abraham. Well, if you track the family line of Abraham down, you go from Abraham to his son Isaac to his son Jacob, and Jacob has 12 sons. And at the end of Jacob's life, he is making these uh, promises to his sons. He is pr uh, speaking prophetic word over his children. And this is the prophetic word that was given to him to share with Judah. It says in Genesis chapter 49, verse 10, the scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until he to whom it belongs shall come and the obedience of the nations shall be his. And so this speaks of a ruler that will come in the line of Judah, that Judah will be a ruler and his family line will be a ruler and they will continue to rule and reign until the rightful heir to the throne comes and all the nations, their obedience belongs to him. As we keep tracking Judah's family line, we do see some kings. We actually see a king by the name of David. And David wanted to build a temple for God, but God said, no, 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 you're not gonna be the one to build the temple for me, but David, I'm gonna make a promise to you. And in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 and 13, it said, when your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom he is the one who will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And so here again, we see some kingdom language and this promise to the person of David. And we do know that some of this was certainly fulfilled in the very next generation. His son Solomon would build the temple that would house God's presence in it. And Solomon and his children after him would sit on the throne of David although it wasn't exactly the way you would think it's laid out here. 
As a matter of fact, David's grandson uh, made a terrible decision in life and it ended up splitting the kingdom. It ended up splitting the nation of Israel into two separate places. And so David's family still reigned and ruled on the throne over Judah, but it wasn't the same thing that they probably thought they had inherited. Because while this promise had a temporary fulfillment or a short-term fulfillment, it also had a long-term fulfillment in the person of Jesus. And so here we see these promises to Judah and these promises to David. And if you keep tracking the family line from David, you will eventually get to Mary, Joseph, and to their son, Jesus. And so we know that Jesus is going to be the fulfillment of these promises. And that's where these words in Luke chapter one, verses 32 and 33 were so significant. That speaking of Jesus says, he will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And so now we have the fulfillment of this promise saying, hey, it is coming true in this person. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. And there we see that promise to Judah as well, that the scepter would be in his hand until the one to whom it belongs comes and takes it and it will be his forever and ever and ever. And so Luke is revealing to us that yes, God is showing you that this is Emmanuel and, and this is the son of God. And he is the fulfillment of so many promises that were made in the Old Testament. That he would be a blessing to the nations, that he will be a king who rules and reigns but he rules and reigns with love, with justice, with mercy, with grace. And he cares about his people. As a matter of fact, if we go away from the family line for a minute and we start thinking about the locations where some of these things are happening, it tells us a lot about who Jesus really is. And so we sang the song earlier, but we know that Jesus is born in a little town of Bethlehem. And in Micah chapter five, verse two, there's this prophecy that says this, it says, but you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. And so Micah makes this promise that out of this little town of Bethlehem, this little place that's just a, a dot on the map, out of this place, there will be a ruler who will lead God's people and it's not like any other person who has ever come before. No, this is one from, who, whose origins are from of old, who's from ancient times. He's the ancient of days. He's the beginning and the end. He has no start date on him. He is the person of Jesus Christ. And he would be born in this little town of Bethlehem. And in Luke chapter two, we actually see this story play out where Caesar Augustus, who was the leader of the Roman empire at this time, he issued a decree that everyone needed to go back to their homes to be registered for a census. Why did Caesar do this? Well, for him, he thought that he did this to glorify himself because he wanted to get a count of all the people that he ruled and reigned over. But really he did this to glorify God. Because God set these things in motion so that Joseph and Mary, who were living in Nazareth, would be forced to leave their home. Not ideal circumstances, having to travel while Mary is pregnant, getting ready to give birth to her son. But they have to leave their home and travel to this little tiny town of Bethlehem, where there's not even room for them in the inn. And so the savior of the world would be born in a place, not some big city, not in a place where the kings reside in, in Jerusalem, 
but in just a little town of Bethlehem. Now, now think about this in our world today, right? If you were expecting the Savior to come, you would expect him to come to some great place, right? Maybe New York or Los Angeles or Sacramento, right? Because we're the capital of California. So, you know, Sacramento. But instead, he comes to Bakersfield. Apologies if you're from Bakersfield. My brother was there for a while and I did not like visiting him, okay? So, (laughs) but here's the thing. This is one of those moments where, where Bethlehem, it reveals to us who Jesus is and it says, hey, this is Emmanuel. This is God with us. Like God wants us to recognize him and so to be born in Bethlehem was kind of a big deal. But also God wants us to know his heart in this story. And so he doesn't come to the big city. He doesn't come to the rich and the powerful. He comes to the little town of Bethlehem, to the overlooked, to the marginalized. And this tells us a little bit about God's heart. That yes, Jesus came to be Emmanuel, to be God with us, but it's not just for those in power, it's not just with those in authority, it's not just those who are famous and well-known. No, Jesus came for the least of these. He came for me. And he came for each and every one of you. And so while Bethlehem reveals to us how we should know who the Savior is, it also tells us a little bit about his heart. And we see that we have a God who is willing to experience some of the mess that we experience. In Hosea chapter 11, verse one, it says, when Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. Now this could easily be pointing back to the Exodus story where the Israelites are enslaved in Egypt and God calls them out of Egypt into the promised land. But there's also a future promise here that the savior, the Messiah, Emmanuel would find himself in Egypt. Well, why is he there? Well, he's there because he was hated. He was despised. He was rejected. You're probably familiar with this part of the story. The wise men come to worship Jesus and they come before King Herod, who is king of the Jews. And they say, we wanna come and worship the true king of the Jews. And King Herod says, there's a new king who was born. Oh, this is great. He says, you know what I want you to do? I want you to go and find this new king and present your gifts, go and worship him, that's fine. And then come and tell me so that I can um, worship him too. That's what I wanna do. But Herod had evil intentions. And so the wise men being warned about this, they go a different direction home and Herod goes crazy and decides he's going to find a way to get rid of Jesus himself. And so because of this, Joseph and Mary now who have already had to travel from their home in Nazareth to the little town of Bethlehem now cannot go back to their home, but instead must retreat and run away to the place of Egypt to go and hide until Herod is gone and they can safely return home. And so again, we see this promise that is showing us, yes, this is the fulfillment of this promise. So we know who Jesus is, we recognize him, but we also know that we have a God, that we have a high priest who has experienced the things that we have experienced, who has gone through the hardships of this life because he wanted to be with us in the midst of our mess, in the midst of our brokenness so that he could show us a better way, a way out of it. And so we see in the Christmas story that Jesus is revealed who he is, but he also is revealing his heart, his character, and what he's all about. 
And so these places in this family line, they all have significance. But we might stop and we might say, okay, well, we know that they've been fulfilled in the person of Jesus, but why are we still talking about them today? Why is it significant that Jesus fulfilled prophecies, that he fulfilled these promises? What does that mean for us? Well, let me give you three things that that stood out to me that I think might be encouraging for you as well. The first is this, is that it reminds us that God is good. Why is it significant that he fulfills promises? Because it reminds us that God is good. First of all, because he is a God who makes promises and keeps his word. So we know that he is trustworthy. We know that we can trust what he has to say. But also, just like with Bethlehem and, and, and with what happened in Egypt and, and even with the promises that were made and fulfilled in the person of Christ, we see his character and his nature being fulfilled in these promises. So we know that God is good. The second thing is this, that we know that the work has been done. We know that the work of salvation has been accomplished. That God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Being a Christian is not about what we do, it is about what has been done for us. And we talked a few weeks ago about this longing that every person has, this desire, this this need to be with Christ. And this happens because we were created to be in relationship with God. We were created to be in relationship with him, but our sin separates us from that perfect relationship. And our sin leads us on a path towards destruction and death. Now, no one wants to stay on a path that leads to destruction. No one's walking down a path that leads towards pain and suffering and hurt and is like, yes, this is where I wanna be in life. But we know from scripture that there's nothing we can do on our own to turn off that path and get on the path that leads to life. But God says, yes, there's nothing you can do, but there is something I can do. And we see in the person of Jesus that he has already done that work for us. And so as we look at all the promises that he has fulfilled, we see that Jesus is the savior who offers us forgiveness of sins in a path to life to be restored into relationship with God once again. And not just temporarily, but for all of eternity, we have that to look forward to. Which leads me to the third thing, the third reason it's significant that God has fulfilled his promises already is that we know that future promises will be fulfilled as well. We know that future promises will continue to be fulfilled. And there's still promises in scripture that we have to look forward to. Yes, we can rejoice in what's already been done, but there is work that's still to be accomplished. And if we know God has been faithful in the past, we know that he will be faithful again today and tomorrow and for all of eternity. And so what I wanna do is wrap up with just a few of the promises that we see in scripture that point to our future hope in Jesus Christ. And so let me share some of these with you, acknowledging also that as we talk about a future hope, this doesn't mean that being a Christian means everything is going to go your way. When you become a follower of Christ, it doesn't all of a sudden mean that that you're gonna win the lottery and you're gonna get your dream house and all your relationships are gonna be perfect. No, being a Christian means that we are going to suffer in, in union with Christ in the way that Christ suffered for us. It means that there's gonna be some pain and some hardships. But in the midst of all that, we have a hope that keeps us moving forward. And so let me share some of these scriptures with you. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. 
So that need to wash away our sins, that need to be wiped clean, Jesus has already taken care of that. And when we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Jesus has done the work of saving us from our sins and into life. And this is what it says in John 10, 27 through 29. Jesus says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand. This is the hope for those who say yes to Jesus, who have put their trust in him, who have confessed with their mouth, Jesus is the Lord, and believe in their hearts that God has raised them from the dead. You have been saved, and you are now a part of the flock. You are one of the sheep of the good shepherd. And while Jesus warns us that there is an enemy that seeks to steal, kill, and destroy, that there is an enemy who roams around like a, that prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he will kill and devour, that he has no power against Christ. And so if we have entered into this family that God has welcomed us into, there's nothing that can snatch us away from that. As a matter of fact, Romans chapter eight says it this way in verses 37 through 39, it says, knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Matthew 28, verse 20, as Jesus is giving the great commission and sending his disciples out, he reminds them in the second part of the verse, he says, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. These are the promises that we get to receive in scripture. Knowing that Emmanuel is not gone and distant. It's different, but we have the gift of the Holy Spirit. For those who put their trust in Christ, the spirit of God dwells within us and he will never leave us or forsake us. And there's nothing that can take his love away from us. Nothing that can snatch us away from his hands. And this gives us a future hope as well. In John chapter 14, verses one through three, Jesus tells his disciples, he said, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. See, Jesus is expressing his desire to have his people with him, to be Emmanuel, God with us. And he's using wedding language here, where at these times the bride and the groom, they would get engaged to be married and the groom would go off to prepare a room in his father's house or to prepare a separate space entirely. And after about a year of preparing this place, he would return to the bride to bring her home. He didn't finish building this place and think, you know what, this would be a great bachelor pad. <laughs> because the whole time he is building, he is thinking of his bride. And we as the church are called the bride of Christ. And so Jesus right now is preparing a space for you and for me. And if he's preparing a place for us, you can be assured that he will return again to welcome his people home. And here's what that's gonna look like when we live in perfect relationship with God once again. In Revelation chapter 21, verses three through four, it says this. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, 
God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. And so while we know that in this life we're going to experience all the ups and downs, the highs and lows, the goods and the bads, we know that we have a future hope in Jesus Christ, that there is a place in eternity in heaven being prepared for us right now, that Christ will return to bring us home. And when we do, he will wipe away every tear and we will enter into this new life, this new creations, where there will be no more pain, no more suffering, no more hurt, and we will just rejoice forever in his presence, experiencing Emmanuel, God with us, the way it was meant to be from the very beginning. And so this Christmas season, let's keep our eyes on Jesus, giving God thanks for what he has already accomplished and eagerly expecting and hoping and giving thanks for what he will continue to accomplish in the future. We continue to prepare our hearts to celebrate and to receive the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks again for the gift of your son, Jesus. There is nothing better that we can receive. No greater gift than to know you to know that we are known by you and loved by you. God, for that, we give you thanks. And so God, I pray that this Christmas season, that we would hear this truth in a new and fresh way, that we would be encouraged and uplifted in knowing that you are good, that you are faithful, that the work of salvation is done and accomplished, and that we have a future hope to look forward to because you've been faithful in the past and you'll be faithful again today and tomorrow and for all of eternity. And so God, I thank you for the promises that are in scripture. Pray that we would remember these in difficult times and in good times so that we would always stay focused on you and live a life that glorifies you in everything that we do. God, thank you again for the gift of your son, Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray, amen.